97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we got Chris Craddock with REI Revive. And he flew in from Fairfax, Virginia to talk about how to make $60,000 a month selling old seller dead leads. Uh, if this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, sales trainer for some of the top wholesalers in the country. And I am on a mission to create 100 millionaires. A uh, question I get all the time is, how do I become one of the 100 millionaires? Uh, the information on this podcast alone really is enough for you to become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. All you need to do is just take consistent action and you will become one. Uh, when you hear a nugget, please type it in the comment section. And after the show, identify your single biggest takeaway and focus on just that for the next seven days. If you get value out of the show, please tag a friend below. Share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And this is a live show. So please ask your questions for Chris to answer. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. So the first question is, what got you into real estate? Well, I'll tell you, man, I was on staff with an organization called Young Life. I loved it. Changed my life. But I made $20,000 a year when I got married. And when my wife got pregnant, you cannot live in the D.C. area on $20,000 a oh, year. Yeah, I know. It's shocking. Shocking, right? And so I went to the library and because it was before Google was the fountain of all knowledge and information, right? I went to the library, checked out every book I could find on real estate investing and uh, read them like a fiend just nonstop. And then just, I mean, literally I look back at how little I knew and how much I could have gotten myself in trouble, but I always say massive imperfect action. Right. Yeah. And so I just started knocking on doors of distressed properties and asking people if they'd sell their property. And when people said, I got somebody to say yes. And I was like, Oh crap, now what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> and so like that far ahead of the curve, but yeah, got it. I made uh, 12 times what I made in a year in the next four months. And that was kind of the, like, I, I continue to do, uh, ministry stuff. Uh, it kind of supported my life, but as I've got six kids and when the money started running out again, I started flipping houses again. And this was after the crash. So, um, lots of short sales. And so I ended up getting licensed just so I could flip my own short sales. Cause the bank was paying a commission right. on that. And, uh, during that time I'd gone back to school, I'd, I have a doctorate in leadership. So I'd always loved leading large groups of people, leading teams. And, uh, December 2014, we we launched a retail team and started really growing that up. And uh, and then a couple of years later, I realized that there was this mesh between investors lived in one side of the world and agents lived in the other. Mm -hmm. And there was so much money that could be made together if you could actually figure it out. And so that right. was kind of what brought us to where we are now. Probably more of an answer than you were asking for. So. No, that's all right. We can dive deep, deep into all of it. So let's just say... Um, you were working was young life. Yeah. Uh, so 20,000 a year, not working when you've got a kid. 
no. on the way. <laughs> uh, when was this? This was, uh, so I graduated in college 2000. So we graduated, I graduated 2000, was on staff, uh, and then it was 2003 when my wife got pregnant. Okay, so this is that. before the crazy run-up. Right. And you jumped right into real estate, or you were just reading books like, how do I make more money? Uh, no, so it, it's interesting. So my dad's side of the family was um, very blue-collar. My grandfather was a road worker, made like $3 an hour, but he ended up dying a wealthy man because every time he cobbled together any dollars, he bought real estate in North Arlington, which mm. ended up becoming a very expensive part of uh, of that area, the D.C. area. And my mom's side of the family, very white-collar, and they, they had, I mean, just always invested in real estate. So for me, real estate was just something I kind of understood because I, I saw that, you know, people make a lot of money in real, real estate, whether you're, you know, educated and, you know, and like a banker or whether you're just kind of a guy on the road that just says, okay, I know that real estate makes money. And, and, and it makes sense, right? You're never going to see your grandfather that looks back and says, oh man, I'm glad I sold that house 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, like real estate makes sense. So you got to witness it growing up on both sides of the family, but you initially decided not to pursue real estate. Right. Why? Well, man, I was such a mess in high school and you know, for so many reasons, you know, like we all got our baggage, right? Mm -hmm. We've all got our crazy. Um, and, uh, you know, I had just an older guy that came and started spending time with me uh, with Young Life, kind of taught me what it was to be a man and how to, you know, how to just mentored me. And it. Um, it was it was just so powerful that uh, I just I wanted to give back and do that for other people. And so, I, you know, I was so excited to go back on, on staff with Young Life and help other people that, uh, you know, were, were in a similar situation that I was in. And so right. I loved it. And, but then at some point, you know, you also got to take care of your family. Absolutely. Uh, so you've got, again, both sides of the family experience in real estate. Well, I guess your grandfather, but you didn't really get to learn from him. It was just timing wise, but you obviously have the situation, the resources available to you. So why go to the library to learn about real estate when you had that readily available? Well, here's the funny thing. I still, I mean, I'll never forget this. Uh, so the first book, so I, I checked out every book that I could find. There was a little shelving area on on investing and real estate. And one of the books was Rich Dad, Poor Dad mm -hmm. uh, on there, which is not technically a real estate investment book, but it's, you know, it, it kind of is. And, it's a uh, gateway book. Right, right. So I, I still remember reading that. And our whole, my mom's side of the family was going out to dinner. My my uncle is a commercial loan officer. And so, and I know he just hangs out with like wealthy people all the time. I had just always thought of him as like hanging with wealthy people. And I remember reading that afternoon that uh, he says in there that all wealthy people have their own LLC or their own corporation. And so I, I thought that was so interesting. So I remember sitting at dinner in this little like hole in the wall in, in Centerville and said to my uncle, I'm like, Larry, so... I know you hang with wealthy people all the time. And I mean, I'm like 22 or 23 at the time. So uh, I'm like, I know you hang out with wealthy people all the time. Like, do you, do all your friends have their own LLCs? They run like, so they can have tax advantages and all this. He's like, I've got an LLC. I lose like 60 grand a year on it. He's like, I run everything through it. And I was like, ah, so, so that's like a thing. And, and, and the interesting thing to me was, uh, you know, at that point, I started asking him a lot of questions um, about it because you realize there's money has a language, you know, and mm -hmm. that that if you don't use the language right, it's like, uh, I mean, you, I know you teach sales, right? Sales has a language as well. And I feel right. like a lot of times when people get into it, it's like my four-year-old, she uses the wrong words, but she doesn't know she's using the wrong words. She mm -hmm. just doesn't know any better. Everybody else that actually knows the right words knows she's using the wrong words. And I think that's kind of what happens with us and money is that we... Um, 
we get into things and, and the people that understand, they understand. But if we don't ask questions, then we're going to just have to figure out on our own. And, right. you know, and, that, and that's the key of like shortening the learning curve. So I started to ask my uncle. There was another guy that I really respected that I started asking him a ton of questions. And, and that was one of the things that I, I, as I look back at my adult life, every leveling up came with me finding somebody that was further ahead in that area and just asking them so many questions so that I could kind of, you know, Tony Robbins says, compress those decades into days, you yeah. know? So that. That's so you did have a mentor in the family. Yeah. So you started yeah. with the books, but you were still, it, it, it kind of, I look at like, you know, there's the good gyms, right? And then there's the gyms that we all have to work out of until we can work our way up into the good gym. Right. And so, yeah. uh, so you got, uh, you were reading the books to get comfortable to ask the questions of your uncle, to ask better formulated questions, I guess. Well, yeah. So the interesting thing was I didn't even, I didn't really even think about, I just knew he hung out with wealthy people, but I didn't really understand that what he knew about money at the time until I asked that question and then it clicked. I'm like, man, he knows a lot of stuff. And so literally after that, it was, it was him. And then this other guy who we went to church with every time I made any financial decision, I would just call them or anytime I was thinking about stuff, I would call them and just say, Hey, what do you think about this? And, and it's interesting, um, through my life now, I, I kind of joke that I've got my own personal board of directors, you know, mm -hmm. people that are going to be in dads, going to be in husbands, going to be in, you know, good with their money, all these different things that I'll call and ask questions to. Even now I still have that. But, uh, that was one of those really, really big keys was, you know, when I realized that, that Larry had all that information, I just, man, just kept calling, kept calling. <laughs> like, tell me well, about it. Well, but it was fortunate, right? And it's a blessing that you had that opportunity. Oh, yeah. So you you pick up the book. You're, you're, you're talking to your uncle. How? And you were you're saying you were knocking the door so fast, you didn't even know what to say when they said yes. So let's talk about the decision from your wife is pregnant to you were knocking on doors. Yeah. How long was that? Oh, bro. I'm, I'm a quick mover. Um, you know, there's, what is it? Ready, fire, aim. I yeah. think I'm like, uh, you know, fire, ready, aim. <laughs> so I don't know, like the total opposite. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah. So as soon as I realized that we weren't, cause we wanted her to stay home with the kids. We always decided that from, from the very get go, we wanted to, um, you know, to just kind of help shape and, and guide and mold the kids like as much as we could. And so, um, I was just like, okay, I can't, we can't live on this. I need to find a way to make, make ends meet. And so, I mean, almost immediately I just, I was like, okay, I know it's going to be in real estate. Now I, now I got to find a plan. And I was reading one of the books and it said, go find people in distress. So what I did was I was like, you know what? I think in the backs of newspapers, again, newspapers are talking early 2000s. It was a thing. It was a thing. Um, I, so like literally our library had all these newspapers in the backs of newspapers. It had trustee sales. And so I literally went to the library and just wrote down all of the people that were up for trustee sales and then just started going to their houses and just saying, hey, will you sell me your house? So you weren't looking at the people that says, I need to sell. You're going straight to the public foreclosure notices in the newspaper. Yes, <laughs> those doors. exactly. I love it. Exactly. All right. So again, how soon from? I mean, immediately. Like I. Like two I, months. Oh, bro. Like I, she, she got pregnant. We're like, we're not going to be able to make ends meet if, if we don't have your salary um, here. And so. Like that night I went to the library. I mean, again, massive and perfect action. Like, like move right away. I uh, went to the library, checked out, I think it was like 21 books, like every book they could. And I am, I'm slightly neurotic in the fact that like when I'm, 
you know, I'm like a horse with blinders on. All of a sudden I see it and I'm, I'm just all in. And so that's all I did for the next, like, probably week was read these books. And then as I was reading them, all of a sudden it came, I was like, okay, I, I'll, I'll, who's likely to sell? Well, somebody that needs to sell, obviously, mm-hmm. is somebody that's got a foreclosure. And if they need to sell, I'll figure out how to solve their problem. I didn't know how I'd solve it, but I'd figure it out, right? right. <laughs> you know? And so, uh, so I just, I just was like, okay, how can I find that? And then, you know, in the, in one of the books, it said a lot of times in the backs of newspapers, it says that. So I was like, all right. So I went to the library, found some newspapers because I didn't get a newspaper at the time. And then, uh, and then I just, you know, made a list of, you know, back, I don't know if you remember MapQuest, but oh, yeah. I, I made a list of MapQuest, like a driving list and just went around and started just driving to houses, knocking on doors. I still remember that first guy that, uh, that said, yes, it was so funny because he's like, I do want to, but I've got a girlfriend in here and I don't want to talk about this in, in front of her. So, um, here's my phone number. Can we talk in like two hours? And I was like, yeah, I'll give you a call yeah. in two hours. And then we made the deal work. That's awesome. And the reason why I'm asking this question is because there are a lot of people that are learning, right? I mean, uh, we put this information on YouTube, on iTunes and so on so that we can you know, help people learn the information. Uh, but at the end of the day, information doesn't make you money. The action that makes you the money. Right. Right. And so that's the reason I'm asking like how fast you did it. And I mean, a week from, hey, we're pregnant to knocking on doors. That's fast. I'm a pretty fast mover. I am not that fast. So that's <laughs> awesome. It's absolutely amazing. Um, okay. So you knock on that guy's door. Did you buy that guy's house? I did. I did. <laughs> so let's talk about that. So this is your first deal. Yep. Yep. So yeah. a week later you're knocking on doors and this guy's <clears throat> yes, I'll sell my house. Call me in two hours. And you still didn't know what the heck you were doing. Didn't know what I was doing. So here's the funny thing. Like I go home to my wife and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. So first thing I do, I call my uncle and I said, Hey Larry, uh, how do I get money to buy a house? <laughs> and he was like, he says to me, he's and at the time you could get a commercial loan for 5% down because mm-hmm. it was before the 2008 crash. And he's like, well, you need 5% down. And I was like, well, I don't know that I'm going to have 5%. And he's like, well, find somebody that you can give money. You can borrow money from if it's a good deal and, and just pay them some extra. Right? Like, I mean, literally I knew nothing. Right. So he's like <laughs> explaining, you know, there's hard money and then there's private money is what he's basically explaining. He's like pay private money rates and to get the down payment for it, you know, which is a little cheaper than hard money. And I'm like, okay. And he's, he's like, he's like, I would probably do it. Your grandmother would probably do it. As long as the deal is right, you can just go to the right person and they would do it. And so I was like, okay, that's cool. And then I'm like, now how do I get the deal? And so I didn't know. So Catherine and I were like, well, we had a real estate agent who was a friend of ours. We're like, let's just go to him and ask him to do all the paperwork for us and make it happen. And we'll split the deal with him. Cause like, I just didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a contract. I didn't have any paperwork. And so we're literally figuring it out on the time. And and one of the things that I've, I heard Tony Robbins say one time, again, I'm a big Tony Robbins fan, um, is it's never a lack of resources. It's always a lack of resourcefulness, right? Mm -hmm. So it's always just, how do you figure it out? And so, I mean, I'm on the fly figuring this out. And um, so, so I go to, uh, I go to John, I, I just said to him, I'm like, Hey, I've got a deal. Will you look at it? And if, if, if you think it's as good of a deal as I think it looks like it is, um, can we just split the deal and you do all the paperwork and make sure that like, we're, we're not in trouble here. And he's like, yeah, sure. So we split it up. We did it. And, and here's the crazy thing. We were going to fix and flip it. Um, but the market was just starting to heat up in 2003. So it, it was before I even knew what the term wholetail was. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up, uh, 
uh, I kept knocking on doors. I got another deal that was like a massive one. And, uh, and so, but I needed the money. I didn't have money. So he's like, well, why don't we just put that one further out and let's just put this on the market for a little bit less than what we could get and do it. So it, we basically did a wholetail on that mm. first one. We made something like 36 grand or something like that, that we split in half and then moved right into the next one. And Oh man, I'll tell you the next one, it was a husband and wife that were divorcing. And I'll tell you, I, I'll never forget sitting there at the table. I, we won't need to get, I'll just say this real quick. We were sitting there and she was like, I, I've been given the right to make the decision on selling the house. How much, uh, how much could I sell at break even? And I was like, looked at their number and I'm like, well, here's your number. So, uh, probably right, right there. Plus well, I guess we'll pay your, your stuff. And the real estate agent guy was with me as well. And so he did all that. And he's like, she's like, I hate him and I want him to make zero money. And he's agreed with me that we'll sell for whatever I want. So we're going to sell at break even. And I was like, okay. You know, like inside, I'm like, be cool, Chris, be cool. You know? But on the outside, like on the outside, I'm like, calm, calm. But on the inside, I'm screaming. And so, yeah, that was, that was our number two deal. And yeah, that the rest is history. And so. what did you clear on that one? Uh, about $76,000. Okay. You're half or total? Uh, total on that one. Okay. So, uh, you're splitting 76. Which is more than I made in a year by, by thinking, a lot. <laughs> you know, almost 80, um, almost 40. So, I mean, your first two deals, you were making three times your annual salary. Yeah, yeah. So that's incredible. But you also didn't quit that. So you're doing this. Th things are humming along. You're still door knocking. Right. And you're still doing the young life yep. thing. So what was the schedule like? Because one... One of the, um, I don't want to say excuses. One of the reasons why people have challenges is that they've got a job. Mm -hmm. So what was your schedule like between young life and door knocking? Well, here's the funny thing. You know, I asked the question I asked you is one of my favorite questions I ask people is what do you do for fun? And you're like, I love to work. You know, I love this. This is fun figuring out problems and stuff. And so for me, it just became my hobby is, is, is what I did. I'm, you're figuring out puzzles, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you're solving problems. You're figuring out puzzles. You're making things work and, uh, and, and building things. And that's like one of the things that I just, I mean, like makes me come alive. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the old movie chariots of fire. Have you ever seen that movie? Long time ago. Oh, there's this, there's a scene in that movie where, um, you know, his, he was going to go be a missionary and, but he was running in the Olympics and his sister's like, why are you doing the Olympic thing? You were, you're supposed to go to, to China and be a missionary with me. And, and, and he's like, listen, God made me for, for China but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, when I'm building things, I, man, bro, I come alive and I love it. And it makes me so excited. And so, so for me, that was, that was more fun than just about anything else I could be doing. So I had my job, but then that was my, my fun time too. So this is your, your, your side hobby. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I kind of, uh, uh, liken this to this and maybe I can help ask my team to help me create this. You know, I, I, you know, that there's that Lego movie, right? And they're ma master builders. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so like, I kind of picture myself as like, you know, jumping off the cliff and like building a Lego plane on the way down. Right. <laughs> and it sounds like you're kind of that situation. And as an entrepreneur, we kind of run into that. Right. Um, so, all right. So you're doing this on the side. Um, it's pleasure. It's not pain. Right. right. And so I think maybe for some other people, it's hard uh, to do the two things. So you didn't necessarily need the time block because you were like looking forward to it. Right. All right. right. 
And, and, you know, I think the way we're built physiologically, right? We get, when, when we get a win, we get this dopamine hit that, mm-hmm. that is, is so exciting. And so, you know, I think that that's one of the reasons why it's so hard is because people don't push hard enough to get the win, right? You know, in math, there's a, there's a math, uh, you know, algorithm rate times time equals distance, right? Well, if you put in enough time, you know, you earn enough rate, you know, your time is your time, right? Mm. But you raise the rate, you're going to get to that distance, which is your first deal faster. And when you get that first deal, everybody knows that the joy of that first deal, yeah. right? It, that dopamine hit, they're like, yes, it's, it's happened. real, it's happening. And I, it gives you drive to do yeah. the next one. Well, and if it, it affirms, right, that dream you've got, that vision you have, you know, because you got people telling you, like you can't do it. This doesn't right. work. It's a scam. And you know, we've referred to in the past as shut up money. Right. Like right. Once you get it, now you can tell them to shut up because I know this works. Uh, all right. So you got the deal going, you got, you're, you're doing really well. What was the journey like after that? I mean, did you continue with this partnership with this realtor and what was that journey like until the, you know, the crash? Well, here was the crazy thing. Um, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. So the agent was making a lot of money and basically just filling out paperwork to make a lot of money. And I look back and I'm like, dang, he had the best deal ever. But the nutty thing was I'm all, I've always been a delayed gratification guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so every time we made money, I said to him, I'm like, let's put the money aside and put it aside for our next deal, right? Let's invest in the business. Let's, let's do the next deal so that we're not borrowing money from everybody. And he's like, yeah, totally good. Totally good. So the first one we do, um, you know, we make like 18 grand each and, uh, and we're all going to put it aside. I go to his house and he's got a new minivan. And I was like, what? The second one, we, I go over to his house and his window, like windows throughout the whole house. And then when the third one comes around, like basically he was he's spending he, as fast as he's making spending it. it. And then, then he was asking if I could just spot him for his half and, but keep everything the same. And then he started asking for a bigger, like it just got weird. And he was asking for more than half. Oh yeah. Well, he was asking to get, uh, the 3% commission on it as well. That was generous uh, of him. Oh man. He was, yeah. So half <laughs> plus the 3% commit. So it was, it got a little rough. Um, he was a friend and everything else. So it just made it hard. And so for me, I had made enough money at that point that I was like, you know what? I can live for a long time. I love ministry. I'm just, you know, I I do think everything happens for a reason. So it pushed me back. um, And I just, I continued to do ministry stuff for a long time. And then as we had more and more kids, I I just would do some side, side gigs um, here and there and um, just to make money. And one of my, but one of my like really, really close friends, he's uh, uh, it's so funny. He, he owns a carpet business. He's Persian owns a carpet business. I, I tell him he's a walking stereotype, but uh, he's, uh, but yeah, so he would just call me all the time. Every time like the, he was having problems, like, like getting stuff out and I would do side hustle stuff and I was just working my butt off. And I'm like, why am I doing all this work? Like these, this like manual labor, getting out like a a wet carpet in a basement when, and making almost no money for it when I could go back into, um, uh, go back into real estate. And so then in 2011, that's when I started, uh, um, like all these people were asking me, they're like, Hey, I know you did real estate. Can you help me with it? And so I was helping other people get into it. And then they were making a fortune. And I'm like, you guys are all making a fortune. And I'm like making, you know, 300 bucks to spend a day cleaning out a wet basement. And so, um, so that's when I started get back into that. And so you, 
you, you you had this great early start. It sounds like maybe you kind of stopped doing the door knocking thing. Yeah, I I did because like it, it was just interesting because when like I'm you know I don't know if you're a disc profile guy. I'm like massively high D, massively oh. high I on oh, yeah. disc profile. And so that was immediately obvious after like three minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so D, like I'm just massively driven, but I'm also so interpersonal. Like I love my relationships with people. Like I like, and so for me, when when that relationship went a little sour, I was like, you know what? I made a lot of money. I'm I I love doing ministry. I love helping people. Like I'm just gonna keep doing this for a while. And so you put the business on pause because you didn't want to upset the other guy. Yeah, there was just so much relational stuff involved gotcha. in that. Okay. So then how many deals did you do with, with him? You partnered up uh, on? I think it's like four or five, something four or like five. that. Yeah. And then right after that, nothing. You went through the recession. Yeah, which actually is probably a good thing because if I know myself, I would have just kept going big and big. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I would have had. So honestly, it was probably the biggest blessing ever. You know, yeah. kept me from bankruptcy, my guess is. Well, that's good. So then you were. <laughs> You had you had this great run, and then you went back to twenty twenty thousand a year, and then you were doing three hundred dollars. Well, I was household. making a little bit more money. You know, I was making like sixty five thousand dollars a year at that okay. point. So, um, which you know, because you know, just time went by, and I made made more money. But yeah, gotcha. but yeah, then as I had more kids, you know, you know, with kids, it's like having a bathtub full of money that somebody pulls the drain and <laughs> it's just gone. Yeah. So, so. All right. So then, twenty eleven, people are asking you for help. Mm -hmm. Is this when you became licensed? Uh, so the first, I, I, I didn't get licensed till 2012. I started helping some people and then, um, then I started doing some short sales myself because I saw that everything, the path that I was going, the distressed, like trustee sales, they were all short sales at this mm -hmm. point. And so then I, one of my buddies is like, Hey, did you, and I didn't, knew, I didn't even know what a short sale was. And my buddy was like, Hey, did you know that you could call the bank? and say, I'll buy it. Will you sell it for less than what they owe? And I was like, what? So I still remember we called the bank on this, the first short sale I did. Um, we called the bank and uh, they had a first trust of whatever it was. The second trust, when we called, they said, yeah, you know, he owes 125,000 as a second mortgage. But if you give us 12,000, we'll, uh, uh, 12,500, 10 cents on the dollar, we'll, we'll call it. And I, I was like, oh, that's a deal now. It's a deal. And yeah. So, so it was the first one we did. Um, we actually, the crazy thing is, um, this was another buddy of mine that I met who I actually played indoor soccer with and he taught me about subject two. So essentially we took his first trust and did that as a subject two, and then got the other one as 10 cents on the dollar, basically flipped up this like high end condo in, mm -hmm. in Reston and, uh, and then sold it. And I don't know, I think I, I, I'm a little fuzzy on, I think we made like 40 grand or something like yeah. that, but it was, it's pretty sweet because it was like, all we had to pay was the 12, five out of pocket and then take over his payments. And it right. was, it was done. It was great. So, all right. So you get back into it and now you start doing short sales. Yeah. You were doing the short sale negotiation or you had someone else doing the short sale negotiation? No, I brought somebody else in to do the negotiation. Right. So you're acquiring short sales, get licensed. So you can also get compensated right. on the short sales. Um, at which point were you starting to help people um, invest or, cause I, I know you got this giant real estate team. So like, what was that evolution? Yeah. So, uh, so we were doing the flips for, for a while and I still remember, um, yeah, it was, it was just so crazy because um, I, I'd go back to school and I'd gotten a doctorate in leadership because like in ministry, I just led 
large numbers of volunteers and large numbers of teams. And so right around the same time, somebody gave me Gary Keller's book, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent. And mm -hmm. I was reading it and I'm like, dang, I see a path. Like immediately I'm like, I see a path to netting seven figures with this. And so, cause that's the name of the book, right? Mm -hmm. Shocker. Um, and so, so it started to make sense. Um, but I was like, ah, but I really like the investing. And, um, and so we started making a lot of money in investing. And actually here's one of the big keys is I, I ended up borrowing tons and tons of money to keep, keep, keep going. We, we ended up having like 26 properties. And one morning I realized like we basically we owed like $10 million to friends, family, banks, everything else. And we did not have enough money in the bank to pay our overhead after like three more months. And so it was a combo of seeing that book. Um, I, I started not being able to flip short sales as much anymore because the banks changed their algorithms. Mm -hmm. And so we realized we could make money by selling them to just random people on the market. And then all of a sudden I'm like, dang, we got ourselves into trouble because we found lots of good deals that we couldn't turn them around fast enough to get them on the market. And so I got as creative as I've ever been in my life. I, I mean, I was doing subject to with other people, which I would never recommend. Don't ever be the, be the bank. But I was doing that with other people because I just, I didn't have the money to work on the projects. And so we ended up fighting like crazy right around that 2014 time when I was reading the Gary Keller book. And so, um, we started building this, this retail like team as fast as we could. And, uh, I mean, I ended up getting out of all those properties. It took me two years. It cost me personally $660,000, which I paid off in two years, but it also forced me to grow my retail team really, really fast Wow! so that, uh, yeah, cause it was the December, 2016 that I, I paid off the last of that 660. And then, you know, I'll tell you, one of the, one of the fun things is a, a mentor of mine said this, never trust somebody that doesn't walk with a limp. I've got a massive limp and I am <laughs> massively fearful about going too big on yeah. things because I'm, I'm a big thing. Like I want to think big always, but I'm always like, okay, there are things that can go wrong. Like, oh, you yeah. know, I used to be like, just go, you'll figure it out. But now you realize, okay, figure it out, but also mitigate any downside as well. So there's a couple things I want to add here. Um, Gary Keller is a genius, right? Yeah. Uh, someone I respect tremendously. I actually got a chance to watch him speak when he was touring to talk about the one thing. Um, there are a lot of people that hate uh, our industry as far as the education side, right? Yeah. They're like, you know, you should give it away free or, you know, if you're really successful, why are you teaching it? Yeah. You know, and I look at the millionaire real estate agent is that is probably one of the most successful information marketing pieces ever. Yeah. He sells it for 20 bucks. You read it and you have to read it like, Oh my God, I should be a Keller Williams agent. <laughs> and every team leader at Keller Williams offers to give it to you. Right. Like, Why don't you read this and make it easier for them to recruit you to Keller Williams. And I know this because you're I was given that book uh, to, to go work for Keller Williams. So, so I hit on that. That's one of the best information marketing successful uh, case studies I, I can ever uh, think of, but uh, nothing disrespectful, nothing but, Crazy yeah. respect for Gary Keller. Uh, second thing is you got well the twenty six properties, ten million in in, in debt. Um, one of the things that we kind of start off with is we always struggle. Like how do I get that first deal? How do I get the first deal? You didn't run into that, but most people do, right? The flip side of being able to do your first deal really fast is that you can get in trouble really fast. And um, something I read a long time ago is that uh, more people. Uh, fail due to indigestion 
delivering the, happiness, yeah. right? From yeah. the Zappos book, right? Than starvation, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. You're more likely, more businesses fail because they got too big too fast. Yeah. Versus not being able to get enough business. Right. So how did you get into that situation and what were the lessons you learned from it? Yeah. Well, I'll say that book, uh, Delivering Happiness. It's is an amazing book. So good. So yeah. good. And I read that and I thought about myself immediately. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that was it. Um, yeah. So the man, you know, my wife was just like she, the promise I made to her was like, our house won't be at risk. And I'll tell you, uh, yeah, I was, our house was at risk mm -hmm. and, um, I was losing my hair, grinding my teeth at night. Like, like thankfully my hair grew back, but, uh, um, so literally your hair, Oh, literally I was waking up in the morning and like losing clumps of hair. I was that stressed mm -hmm. and it was, it was nutty, but here was the thing. What I learned was, um, if you, if you work hard, what you focus on expands, right? There's a reticular activating system. We've heard about that, which is the things you focus on. Your brain is always filtering out information. So what you, what you focus on everything that you bring in, if, as long as you're educating yourself, as long as you're learning, which is also a big key, like there's not a day that goes by that I don't consume at least an hour of content of something, but as long as you're learning, you're going to be able to figure out. And if you're reticular activating system is telling you, you need to figure out how to find more deals. You will find more deals as long as you take action on it. Mm -hmm. And so the sad thing is what I like to focus on is finding more deals. The thing I didn't like to do, like, it's like, if I'm a hunter, I, you know, I like to go hunt, but I don't want to clean it, you know? Yeah. I don't want, and that goes back to the, you know, the rocket fuel book, right? Like I'm a visionary. I, I, I want to big, massive, imperfect action, but I don't want to do the, you know, the smaller, you know, implement it, get it done. Yeah. Other important things. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And actually that's probably one of the reasons our team grew as fast as we did is because I've learned to hire well for people mm -hmm. that are good at what they're good. And also one of the things I think visionaries don't do is they don't respect the role of the people that do that well, which I didn't early on before I matured into. They didn't appreciate right it. Yeah. yeah. But so that was the big thing was I just was always focusing on finding more deals, finding more deals. And as we did, the deals kept coming, but we didn't focus on how to get the deals <laughs> out. Right. Yeah. So good at acquiring. Not so good at moving the properties. Right. Got right. it. Okay. And so what were the big lessons from that? Uh, well, the first lesson was, um, that anything you focus on will happen, right? Like if you, ex if you focus on it, it'll expand, right? Like we wanted deals, we could find deals. The second thing is, um, you know, you've got to find people that are great in gift sets that you're not great in. And that was one of the things that was probably one of the biggest keys there is that, um, I was just thinking about acquiring more deals. And so as we've, as I've built out, my, my businesses now, we've got nine businesses now, as we built those out now, um, all of those have to have, a, you know, somebody that is working on them. And actually, again, this goes back for, to Gary Keller, you know, he was like a mentor to me for, for many years. Um, he said, you can have as many businesses as you want, as long as they've all got a folder, like a manila folder mm -hmm. that contains that business. And it's got a face on that folder and that face is not your face. Yeah. Right. And so at the time I was just, so involved in, in everything. And then the things that I wasn't good at just fell through the cracks. Right. <laughs> All right. So, uh, at some point you realize, cause you're good at finding deals and you're a realtor at this point, right? You saw this kind of opportunity to marry the two worlds. Yeah. What was that that you discovered? <clears throat> so our, our retail business grew pretty quickly. Um, to about 40 million in volume. And then, um, and then the next year we grew to like 43 million in volume, which 
was the smallest amount of growth, but I was working so much harder. And so what I did was I just, I started listening to a lot of podcasts and anybody I liked their vibe. And I felt like I could learn from, I just reached out to them and said, Hey, will you talk to me? And they did. I, I was shocked at how many people like spent, like they're making so much money and you know, they just were willing to take calls from me. And so, um, one of the guys said this, he said, Chris, I, I was in exactly the same situation. I went from 40 to 42 million one year. And, and I was like, I'm working so much harder and it just clawing for a little bit more. And he said, a mentor of mine taught me this, stop looking for where you're going to find that one next deal. And cause you're the leader of the organization, you're quote the rainmaker. You need to make it rain. One deal is not making it rain. That's going to make it drizzle, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like you need to figure out where can you go to find one relationship that'll bring in five deals, 10 deals, 50 deals. And so I started thinking about it. I'm like, okay, as a retail guy, I could go to builders or I could go to all of these investors, right? Because, and I came from the investor world and I understand the investor world. And so these investors, I think about it and I'm like, okay, if I get 20 people that call and I'm a wholesaler or a fix and flip guy and 20 people that call and raise their hand and say, I want to sell of those 20, maybe four will say, I want to sell in your buy box. And maybe one of them, you're going to get wrapped up out of 20. Right. And so I'm like, well, what about the other 19? Somebody's monetizing those. So I just thought I'm going to call the biggest wholesaler in our area. And actually one of the bigger wholesalers, you know, out there. And so I just called him and I said, Hey, will you, uh, will you give me your, your retail leads? I'll, I'll close them. And they're like, no, we've tried this. And like, and in fact, we've got a top agent, you know, like one of the top agents in the country working them. We, we've given them a thousand, a thousand leads in the last six months and they've closed six. It's just not worth our time. They said, we've tried opening a brokerage. We've tried opening all of these different things. It's just not worth our time. And I'm like, come on, let me, let me just, let me just close these. And one of the things I've learned over time is persistence breaks resistance. So yeah. I just kept calling over and over and over again. And we, you know, they, they liked me. I liked them, but man, they were like, talk to the hand kind of stuff. And, um, eventually they gave me 150 leads. They're like, okay, we're, we'll send you over 150 leads. They gave me 150 leads. I called all of them. Like seven called them. I, I personally called them. Cause I, you know, the way I see it is I want to build out the system. Right. And then, and then I, I want to teach other people how to do it. And so I, I personally called all of them and 70 of them already sold to an investor or an agent or somebody. Um, the other 80 that were left, like 30 of them were out of area um, deals. And so there were like 50, 50 deals. And so I'm like, okay, if there's 50 here, she got six with a thousand. I've got to get six with 50, right? A reticular activating system. I got my goal. I ended up getting exactly six. I wonder if I would have ho hoped for 10, whether I would have gotten yeah. 10, but I got six. So I called them and I said, Hey guys, I got six, six deals. I'm going to send you a referral fee on these six. Uh, they're like, you got six out of what we sent you. And I was like, yeah, they're like, why don't you come in next week? So I came in, met with them and they're like, Chris, we think you're a nice guy. You know, we don't want to be a jerk or whatever. And, and just say, go pound sand. They're like, but we wanted you to stop calling us. So we gave you, we said, let's pick like 150 leads from like five years ago and give them 150. And you actually closed six of them from five-year-old leads. And they're like, okay, let's start working together. And so we started working together, started building out the system. And actually it's crazy. I mean, we were routinely sending that group alone over $60,000 a month in referral fees, which like three quarters of a million dollars in a year for leads that were like literally sitting in their database yeah. dying. Trash so, leads. Oh yeah, trash, like oh, trash to cash, right? Yeah. Like that, that was the main thing. And so that actually, the start of that relationship really 
propelled our retail team pretty big and oh, it also helped obviously. them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and it helped them as well. And so then, uh, just started building this, this out. And it, I mean, it's, it's just been incredible. It's been incredible. Well, I love this story. So one thing that we always have this challenge, right? Is like, how do we do this legally, morally, ethically, you know, the, uh, the more successful we are, the more eyes we have on us, right? Uh, especially now you're growing your reach. And I mean, I'm looking at the comments here. I mean, you're, you're well known. So how do we sell? How do we pay on dead leads? Right. Well, here's the first thing. Um, one, success leaves clues, right? Like, so you look at almost all of the massive wholesalers in the country and almost every single one of them is either licensed themselves. I mean, uh, they're either licensed themselves or they've got somebody in their organization that's licensed. Why do they do that? There's obviously a reason there. Plus, I think uh, a lot of states are requiring wholesalers to be licensed now. They're moving in that direction. Yeah. So might as well get ahead of the curve there. So there's that. Um, number two, I, and I teach this in my program, like, cause that's a big, big, uh, big piece. Number two is 25% of all real estate agents in any MLS do zero deals, zero deals. So 25% do one to three deals. And it's usually their mom, their brother, their best friend, right? Mm -hmm. And 25% do zero deals. So there's only 50% of agents that are actually doing business. Um, so you can very easily go to these agents that are doing zero deals and say, Hey, how would you like to run your license through our LLC? And you know, you handle our referral business. We'll pay you something on, on each of the deals. And you basically bring them in house. So you've mm -hmm. got an agent to bring in house. So either get licensed, get somebody on your team license, bring somebody in house. I know that there's some, so, so like there's different States are different about this. And so I don't want to make a big point on this because I don't want anybody to get in trouble. So we're not licensed attorneys. We're not like, we're not real estate commissioners, right? Run this by someone right. else's a legal authority. Right. hundred <laughs> percent. Thank you. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> Boom. Um, yeah. So a lot of people, um, you know, there are people that open up marketing LLCs and they sell their leads. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's another way that, that people do it. And there's, there's a lot of ways to do that. And I don't want to necessarily jump into all the different ways that you can do that. Well, so, I mean, the, the, the two main ones, right. There's the, um, getting paid referral fee yeah. and then there's just paying or selling leads. Like there yeah. are the two legal ways. I don't want to get into any other ways, but the two main legal ways is selling by lead. Right. So like a certain dollar figure per lead or, a certain percentage. Right. Um, do you have any figures that you recommend as far as a percentage uh, per closed transaction and a dollar figure per lead? Yeah, yeah. Well, the dollar per figure per lead that you just, all the, every market's so different. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to get into that just sure. because like, yeah, a, a $5,000 uh, property in Baltimore is going to be different from a like $5 million <laughs> property in LA. Right. right? So, um, but as far as, uh, the leads go. And, and I don't, I think it, you should be setting appointments. That's what I teach is setting appointments, mm -hmm. not, not just giving a lead because everybody knows it's so hard to get a seller on the phone as it is. You need to set that appointment. Um, but you also have to phrase it right. You have to work it right because set the expectations. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I'll tell you, if you set appointments and you're doing a lot of them, um, then you should be at about 35%. If you're just doing a handful, like, you know, maybe a couple of months, then 25% is, yeah. is fair. All right, so 35% for booking the appointment. Right. Which I think is probably even more generous to the realtor's favor uh, than it is for the wholesaler. So that's great. Uh, so then people that are listening then, the number one recommendation is go get a license. 
Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, success leaves clues, like, like name almost every big wholesaler. And I'll tell you, there's, there's going to be like a couple of them that are not licensed, but almost all of them are either licensed or somebody in their organization is licensed. Yeah. So I'm going to just do a really cheap plug for myself over here. Right. So I'm licensed, right. I got a brokerage, uh, Brent Daniels, who, you know, yeah. Um, Jesse Burrell, evil Dragunov. These guys are all licensed with stunning homes realty. (laughs) <laughs> there's a reason why we right. want to monetize these leads. So, all right. Um, a moment ago, um, you were talking about how you're addicted to growing businesses and you've got nine. Right. Right. What are those nine businesses? Well, uh, our retail business is one. Uh, we've got a business called, uh, have you heard of legal shield? Mm-hmm. I love legal shield. A lot of people, they need to put together their, their entities, 150 bucks. They'll put together an LLC for you and give you 90 days of free legal advice. You can call an attorney for Like I think in the investor world, legal shield is one of the greatest things ever. Cause you literally can call an attorney for like, I think it's like 35 bucks a month, mm-hmm. you know, as much as you want. So legal shield, um, I've got a title business. I own a property and, and casualty insurance business. Um, I have a rental portfolio. I have a fix and flip business. My wife runs a uh, uh, a branch for for lending. Um, I have a coaching business, and oh my gosh, I'm losing. I've got one more that I can't remember. It's ghost to me right now, but I've got one more as well. Uh, oh, construction, a construction, construction business. Yeah. So you're not counting the the downline. Uh, oh, for exp? No, 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 I'm not. So we'll we'll call it ten. Okay, let's, let's make it. I even mean, 10. I would count that as ten. Yeah. Um, okay. So going back to Gary's comment earlier, um, uh, you know, as long as each business is in a Manila folder and it's got a face on it, I mean, it's something that is so powerful to hear. But I never thought about that with all these different businesses. Right? I don't have nine or ten businesses, but I have a handful. Right. And man, that piece of information. Is so helpful. So I think, you know, one of the biggest takers I think for anyone listening to this is, is that one bit of advice. You can have all these different businesses, but it's got to be a different face and it's right. not yours. Um, and we originally connected, I think, through Tom Kroll. Right. Right. Am I mistaken? Uh, it was either Tom or Darren, one, one of the two. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and in, in, I mean, you're in, in Family Mastermind as well. Is I'm in right? Family Mastermind yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah. 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 So. so Talk about that. I've had a couple of conversations. I mean, uh, Tom has been very generous with his time with me. You know, yeah. if I'll post something and he's like, um, you know, reach out to me. So I'll call him. <laughs> and he's been incredibly generous, uh, again, with his time with me. Can you talk about like what it is like working with him? Yeah, Tom is the man. I love Tom. He's uh, he's so, so funny. And I I, I don't know, my uh, my family calls, like everybody just makes fun of me, like rolls their eyes that I'm I'm cheesy and, and uh, love the cheesy jokes and everything else. And Tom's a bit goofy too. So I just, I love his, uh, his humor style. And, uh, but yeah, wh- one of the other things with Tom is like, it's just like, hey, go get it done. Even if it's not perfect, just, just do it, right? Mm-hmm. Just do it and <laughs> make it happen. And so I just, just the whole style, but plus culturally, you know, as you know, he's, you know, just very open as like a Christian guy who says, you know, he, he wants to serve people and help people and love people. And, and I just, I love that personally, cause that's, that's kind of what I feel like part of my mission here mm-hmm. on earth is as well. And so there's just all these things about that, that I just, I just love. So yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I'd heard Tom's name so many times from so many people that I respect. And then when we got to be buds, it was, it was just great. So yeah, no, I'm really thankful that, uh, that I can call him a friend. Yeah. So you got a flipping company and a construction company. Right. Right. So what talk, let's talk about your flipping company right now. Okay. Uh, what, uh, what, what kind of volume, what are you guys doing? 
Uh, you know, I don't do tons and tons. I'll probably do like one or two a month, um, yeah. flip, flip wise. Um, just cause it's not like my main thing. I, uh, it was, it was interesting. Um, a number of years ago, I love shark tank. And I remember hearing Chris Saka talk about, he's like, I just don't like cash intensive businesses. And I started thinking about it a lot and flipping is so cash intensive that it's massively cash intensive and it's really easy to just overextend yourself without even knowing Oh, yeah. Without even realizing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that also reminds me, I do a little bit of hard money lending as well. So I yeah. guess that's that's 11, right? All right. So I'm, I'm, I'm finding orphan businesses. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, so so it's just so cash intensive that I just don't like being in it um, that much. You know, I... Uh, so I'll do a couple here and there. And, and since I do most of it in cash in the DC area, I mean, almost everything you're buying, like minimum 300 grand, you mm -hmm. know, so three, it's like, like the average one I'm doing, like it's anywhere from three to 600,000. So if you have a couple of those out with cash, it ends up being just, it, it's just a lot of cash out plus right. rehab and all the other fees and everything else. So, so yeah, that's my, my thought on fix and flip. And then what about the construction business? Construction business. So that one, we actually, so the DC area, um, we do tons of condo conversions. So we're buying a place for like somewhere between six and 900,000. We're putting in like 400,000 to make one row home into two or three condos. And then we're reselling all each of those for like nine to one to 1.1 million. So like, it's a really, really cash intensive deal. And so we do a couple of those ourselves and we do, um, uh, and, and at the same time we work for investors just doing cash, uh, like a cost plus thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, it usually, usually looking at 14 to 16 months to do a condo conversion. Um, they're very profitable, but they're just cash intensive and long. So we'll usually do a, uh, a cost plus where we'll, we'll do the cost of the the transaction. Plus I think it's usually we, we charge for a full condo conversion. It's like 110,000. Wow. Gotcha. For a 14 month project, you charge 110,000. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That seems, um, nice. <laughs> it's, it's good. I mean, if you, if you've ever dealt with the DC government, you'd probably think it was less nice. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I'm saying like, I would, I would have expected more. I, I would expect it to charge more for okay. a 14 month project dealing yeah. with bureaucracy, dealing with the contractors, dealing with subs. Yeah. I, I thought it would have been higher. Right. Right. Honestly. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you got obviously some fans here. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman says you're the man. Go giver makes time for people. Uh, Jeff Nadiger and Kevin Hansen says you're real, real good dude. Uh, hey, Kevin. Uh, so Kristen Myers wants to know what is it that you're saying when you're door knocking? I mean, you're not doing it so much right now, but if you were, what would you be saying? Yeah. If I went back, if, if I had to go back and do it today, I just say, um, like I, I know a lot of people said, don't, don't bring up the foreclosure. Don't whatever, you know, it's the elephant in the room. I, I just said, Hey, I came across your house. It's selling on the, uh, on the 15th. Uh, do you have a plan? And everybody's like, yeah, I got a plan, you know? And some people would say, you know, that I can, you know, stick my head somewhere, you know, like, mm -hmm. like all this other stuff. But, um, but I said, do you have a plan? And, and, and then they, they, most people would say, yeah, I got a plan. And then I say, well, what happens? What's your plan B if it doesn't work out? And that's when, when you'd usually have a great conversation. Yeah. So that was, that was literally my script is, do you have a plan? It's, it says it's selling on the 15th. Do you have a plan for it? And then they like, 
would be caught off guard because they're shocked that I know their stuff. And what is it? How do you know my personal information? Like all the other stuff. And and literally if I had a picture of it or I brought the newspaper or whatever and I show them and then they would, uh, and again, that was a long time ago. So I'd probably show on my phone now. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but then when they see that it's public information that, that that's out there, then they would say, um, Okay. And then, then you ask what their plan B is. And then that's, that's when they're like, well, I don't really have one. And then that's, that's when they open it up. And I know you teach sales, right? Like if, if you ask the right questions, everybody will tell you how to sell them. Right. And so you're just asking the question, get them to open up because they have a plan. Everybody thinks they have a plan, right? You know, just like Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Right. Right. So um, they think they've got a plan and then, but what happens if that doesn't work out? And then if you're giving them a safety net, then all of a sudden they're like, well, actually your plan might sound a little bit better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that. And I wish I had that, you know, when I was door knocking back in 2008, I mean, I would show them like, you know, like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm knocking on this door cause your house is going for closure this day. And they're like, that's not happening. That's not my house. That's, that's not me. And, and it's like, okay, that's weird. But like, they'll lie to you to your face. Right. And, right. Cause I was a lousy salesperson. I was just like, like what do you mean? I'm going for it? like, it's right here. So it was just, <laughs> it was very uncomfortable. Um, and so uh, let's see. Uh, guys, please ask your questions for your, uh, to answer. Uh, you know, Chris is obviously totally a huge uh, go-giver, so please uh, ask away. Um, option B, that's Scott, wants to know, what was the book about uh, happiness? Delivering Happiness by, um, well, what's his name? He just passed away. Um, uh, the, the Zappos guy. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of it at the moment. Tony. Uh, Tony, Tony Shea. Uh, Shea. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah man, and it was so it was, good. You know, it was just reading that book. It was kind of funny. Like, I felt like I was reading a biography, you know, like talking about what he was doing as a kid to hustle. As, you know, he was an entrepreneur before he even knew it. And that was definitely me. I mean, it's going back to some of the days selling candy and getting in trouble with school. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So then what's your next business? Uh, well, I mean, the main thing that I'm, I'm really enjoying right now is helping people with REI revive, helping people monetize their, their leads. So, um, that's really where I'm, I'm spending most of my, my time thinking about everything right now, just because, and I, I love helping people, helping people win. Like it's, yeah. it's like one of the greatest things ever. I'm, I'm at a point in my life where, you know, I'm very close to kind of paying off most of my life. And so at that point I can live the rest of my life just you know, live, live and, and create the legacy you want to li- leave. Right. And so yeah. if my legacy is I've, I've helped people, um, succeed, help people accomplish their goals, help people, you know, become the a man or woman they want to become. I mean, what's better than that. Right. Right. Um, so just going sp- uh, back to that, just a moment, you know, like, let's say I'm this wholesaler, right. And I've got, uh, I've been doing this for eight months. I'm frustrated. And I got all these dead leads. Right. What's the first, so getting licensed was the first thing. Yeah. What do I do after I get licensed? Yeah. So either get licensed or, or get somebody in your organization that's licensed and it's really not that hard to do. Um, and then, uh, so there, there's a handful of things. So one is once you have that person, you, you can send a text to all your dead leads. Here, here's my favorite text. Hey, Steve, you know, whoever it is, like, like put it in your CRM, send the mass text. Hey, are you still looking to sell your property if you got the right price for it? I'll tell you what, there was a, uh, a wholesaler that, that sent us a ton of leads. We sent a mass text to 800 leads, set 29 appointments from that text. Yeah. It's the easiest text ever. Everybody overthinks it. Don't overthink it, but <laughs> do it right. You know, it, it, yeah. are you still willing to, are you still thinking about selling your property if you got the right price for it? All right. Okay. So they're like, yes, someone in your organization calls them, books the appointment, tells, tells the realtor, hey, be here at this time. 
Right. And right. it's that simple. Yeah. Or, you know, and, and once you're working with the agent, you know, you set up the whole system for the agent to come in and, and, you know, where, where it's, it's on, you're booking on the calendar, everything else. Um, you know, you, the other key things, like you don't want to tell people that you don't want to say it's a realtor, right? Like second you say it's a realtor, everybody's brother's uncle is a realtor, right? You say agent realtor, they're like, nope, about 50% of the deals that we close would never have gotten in the door if we said realtor, but, but you got to make sure that you're not baiting and switching, right? Mm. Because if you go in, you need to be able to offer the cash offer as an agent, right? And, and if, if, any wholesaler sends an agent, they should be able to give a cash offer, right? They already have pre-qualified that they're not likely to take that cash offer, mm -hmm. but it's not a bait and switch. You're not going and then breaking open a listing presentation. That's the other thing is we got to understand that everybody that calls an investor called an investor, because usually I'm sure there's somebody's going to tell me at some point, one of the others other than the five, but usually people don't want to pay a commission, right? They, they think their house is too jacked up to sell in the MLS. They, um, maybe they're a hoarder and they don't want their neighbors to see, you know, they, they have to sell fast because a job move or a, you know, foreclosure is coming or, um, they don't want people coming through their house at all different times. So if you have, and, and that's the scripting, right? The script and dialogues. So the agents can walk in and answer those questions. And if they can go in and answer those questions, right. Then they can close. I mean, you literally are a tiger playing with hamsters, right? Like that is it. If you know that these are the questions that they have, these are the things and you can answer it. They all think they need to sell to an investor, but if you can answer their questions in a way that solves their problems, then that is how you, um, that's how you win. And that's how you close massive amounts of deals. And that's why most people that are, everybody's tried it. Anybody that's generated many leads has tried doing this, but I'll tell you, my guess is they probably don't make very much money on it. No, well, they don't. But when you understand that every single person came in a certain way, you're looking for a specific type of agent. The agent needs to know their scripting. You need to actually just follow the process, you know, and everybody could figure it out, but that's, right. that's the whole, that's the re I mean, heck I spend, I spend over six, I spend over six figures a year on coaching and mentorship because I believe that in this business, speed is everything. I can figure just about anything out if you give me enough time, but I'll tell you what, I'll pay to learn how to do it in a couple of days, you know, right. because I'm going to make so much more money than I ever paid for anything. Absolutely. The ROI on, on personal investment and, and investing in your personal development is, is a number that you can't top that anywhere else. Absolutely. Um, so Ryan wants to know in that growth mode, when you were stressed out, what was the turning point and how did you know when you had built something that had the potential for sustainability? And mm, in, in which part the, uh, are we talking the, uh, the time when I had that massive debt or is um, this, I'm going to uh, guess that, I mean, that's probably when you were the most stressed out. Yeah. Yeah. When I had that, that massive debt, oh, well, I'll tell you, there is an old cheesy YouTube video. I'll tell you, everybody should go check this out. It's art Williams. Just do it. It's 18 minutes from the, the 80s. It is so cheesy, but I'll tell you what, I literally did not know what I was going to do. And a friend of mine sent me that. Oh, at that about, time? Yeah, told me about that video because, I mean, I was like, I, I mean, I literally did. Like it was, my back was against the wall. And I, I, I still remember watching it. And I was like, holy crap. But like there's one side of it where it's like, he's like, he's like, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. He's like, he's like, but. I need to sell my house, but houses aren't selling art. And he's like, do it anyway. You know? And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. Anyway. I'm just going to do it. And I, I remember watching it. And then I called my wife over and watched it. And I was like, Catherine, like, we're either going to go bankrupt or we're going to do it. And, uh, and literally we got down on our knees, we prayed and just said, God, help us, help us accomplish this. And I literally got up a new man and I just said, okay, I'm going to make money. And literally that was 
like, I mean, with the retail business, I'm just like, I got to make money fast. I got to figure out how to get these properties off my, you know, like, so that was, that was it. But that video literally was life-changing for me. And, and it just fits like everybody wants to think about it. And, you know, they use like, you know, research as procrastination, mm -hmm. right. But just go do it. That's it. Yeah, Art Williams, right? Art Williams. Yeah, it was one of the best videos I saw a long time ago. And it's about, it was, they're studying successful insurance salespeople. Right. I think that's all it was. Like, what was the difference between the most successful insurance salespeople and everybody else? They just do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just do it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think one challenge I see a lot is, you know, I, I, I started off on the realtor side. Well, started off, you know, rich dad, poor dad. I started off on the investor side. And then I was like, oh, I should just go on the realtor side. And then we got to the flipping side and then we got the uh, wholesaling. How much time when you were going through this, right? Knowing how much you made as a flipper and going through all this, how much patience did you have working with regular buyers and sellers? Mm. So buyers were really tough as a high D. Like I, I had the I personality, so I can be empathetic. But as a high D, when you walk into a house and you're like, this fits all your boxes. And they're like, oh, I'm not sure. And I'm like, if it's all your boxes, are you kidding me? Let's, let's do this. Let's, let's write an offer. I'm, I'll call my assistant. We'll have the offer ready before we leave the house. And, uh, so that was, that was really tough, but, um, and that was part of, that was, so the first thing that I did was hire an assistant to take care of paperwork. Cause mm -hmm. oh man, I lawsuits waiting to happen if I didn't, um, <laughs> because there's no way that I'm dotting I's and crossing T's. Right. Um, the second thing I did was hire somebody to, to work with buyers because like the high I personality that are so good with, with buyers, just relating with people and a little less of the D like in your face, like <laughs> do it, you know, kind of thing. And so that was one of the, the next things that I did. And, and it was interesting. Um, as I started, uh, scaling my business. I had these, these six books, five books, but then I've added a six that like became my Bible. And one of the, the great thing, again, another thing from Gary Keller, he says, your business earns the right to build out its org chart, right. Mm -hmm. And lead with revenue. And so I started studying these books and looking at it and I'm like, okay, what are the things that I can get other people to do and probably do better than I can? So like with, with listings, I'll tell you, I'm a pretty good salesperson. Like I will probably outperform just about any other listing agent on the first go round, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to follow up well. <laughs> like I'm just not going to follow. So, so they're actually going to close more than I will because they're going to follow up better than I do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I was just like, let's, let's teach other people to do this and people that will actually follow up and actually do what they and need follow to follow a process. Yeah. I totally can, can, uh, sympathize with this because that was definitely me. And, you know, transitioning, I was an engineer right before I got into real estate Okay, and it was be the same thing. It's like, you told me you wanted A, B, C, D, and E. This house has A, B, C, D, and E. What is it you need to think about? And I was, it was just not a good conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, I get it. I get it. Um, so Victor Reese wants to know, uh, what is your response then? Owner says we don't own that house or we're fine. It's been taken care of. We're just overall in denial. How are you dealing with that? Knowing that they've got their public foreclosure coming right. up. Right. So what I've learned is great salespeople ask great questions, right? Mm -hmm. So I just ask, ask, you know, if, if they say, oh, we got it taken care of, um, you know, it's kind of a pushy question. It's just, just first I say, well, what's your plan B? And if they say, oh, we got it taken care of, well, do you mind if I ask real quick what, uh, you know, if, if we're role playing here, I say, do you mind if I ask real quick, what's the plan? Because I've helped a lot of people and I'd be happy to, uh, to give you a couple thoughts that's, that's worked for some other people. 
And, uh, and then oftentimes people will, will listen. It's like, if a lawyer says, I'll give you free advice, you know, then people are like, well, I'm not going to pay 250. Okay. I'll take it. Um, so you're, you're just offering again. I, I think that everything, if you lead with value that you tend to, um, that you tend to win. So if you're offering some sort of value to them where you're not asking for, for them to sign with you, just say, Hey, well, can I, can I give you some value here? Mm. Then people are willing to, to listen. If they say it's not my house, um, I would, uh, you know, I just, you know, what is it? You, you go three deep. Like, why do you think it says this in the newspaper? Like this, that's, that's crazy. Do you, could it be possible that the bank is, uh, is going to be moving like foreclosure stuff on you with, without you knowing about it? And like, so, so I just start asking questions to get them to, to respond. Cause, cause at first, I mean, just think about yourself. You know, there was a, uh, I went to a wedding and, um, we went to the wedding and I ended up, uh, like busting the back of the jacket and we were so far from our house. So I'm like, well, where can I get a jacket? I got to get a jacket. So I went into, to a mall, like the closest mall. And I, I'll never forget. I walked into, it was like a JC Penny or Macy's or something like that, whatever the department store was that was right there. And the person came up and said, Hey, can I help you? And I was like, no, I'm just looking. I wasn't just looking. I was going to buy a jacket. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but that's the whole thing. Everybody is always like, they just put you off. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just looking, I'm just looking and until they, they said, well, is there, and actually the salesperson was great. And, and I, I, I stuck this in some of my training stuff. They're like, well, can I, I point you to the right direction? What are you looking for? I'd be happy to point you in the right direction. And I'm like, well, I need to get a suit jacket. Are you looking to buy one? To, and I was like, I mean, I literally was going to a wedding, right? I had to get a jacket. To, so I, I was a distressed seller <laughs> or a distressed yeah, buyer. You're motivated. Yeah, I was motivated. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a great point. And I, I think the, the disarming component is something that is, is great. Yeah, yeah. You disarm by um, asking the questions that shows that you're not pushing, right? Right. And so I, I, I love the, you know, like, does the bank know, like, the foreclosing on the right person? Like, that's a huge deal. Especially, I mean, not then, but later on, right, when the foreclosure crisis got way worse, as an REO agent, you're seeing like the banks are changing locks in the wrong houses because <laughs> like the, the contractor they hired to rekey the house is rekeying the wrong house. But as part as rekeying the wrong house, they're trashing out the wrong house. Oh, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you read these things like, so at that point, then that's a real question. Like, does the bank know they're foreclosing on the right house? Like, <laughs> we got to stop this. <laughs> we got to work together. Um, I love that. All right. So uh, Kevin Hansen wants to know, how are you balancing your drive for success in real estate? and your desire to lead a home and have your marriage and family be a top priority? No, that's a, that's a great question. I'll tell you. Um, so again, I had a mentor of mine who had sold a bunch of, a bunch of businesses and I, I went and met with him. He was, he was an elder in our church and just serial entrepreneur. And I remember I always, I was just, I'm always wanting to move. And this was one of the biggest, uh, shifts, like, like tectonic shift in my mind. Um, I, I asked him, like, there's a verse in the Bible that says godliness plus contentment is great gain. And I'm like, I'm like, I just feel like my butt's always burning. Like, I'm not, I'm not like the contentment piece isn't there. And I said, Tom, tell me, how do you handle being an entrepreneur and a very successful one? Cause I know that you're just always burning, right? You're always like wanting to, to grow. How do you handle that? And he's like, well, Chris, here was the biggest thing that I learned. It used to be that the grass was always greener on the other side. He's like, I came to a place of maturity where I realized that you can be content if you know that you haven't yet arrived. You've just got to be at a place where you can enjoy the journey, mm-hmm. right? And so that to me was one of the biggest 
shifts in my life was to understand that you can enjoy the journey. And so when you, when you back off from that, when you, when you, you're saying, okay, I need to enjoy the journey. When you start enjoying the journey, then some of the blinders come off a little bit so that you can kind of open up your goals to, uh, to a bigger area, right? Like my family, my, my kids, my, um, my friends, all of that, as well as work. And you can enjoy that journey together because the way that I'm built, it's hard for me to, to take the blinders off of like that one goal, like build this bigger, make it better, you know, all the other stuff. And so when I'm like, man, we're doing it, it's not perfect, but I'm really enjoying this. There's a little bit of an edge that comes off that we're able to kind of enjoy the other things that are also just as, I mean, more important. Let's, let's be honest, not just more important Mm -hmm. than making a few extra bucks or building something out there. Well, I think that's a great point. More important because a lot of people, you ask them what's your why? Like it's my family. It's like, is it really though? Yeah. Uh, because we'll spend more time working on our business, but we don't spend that much time working on our family. So I think that's a great point is that slowing down and thinking about what's actually more important. Right. Right. And, yeah. uh, and I think we're all, we're all guilty of it as entrepreneurs. Very few actually get into the business to spend more time with their family or have more free time so they can spend with their family. And then use that for more free time, right? <laughs> to spend time. Well, yeah. One of my buddies family. that 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 was exactly what I said because he always talks about like he he has a coaching business for real estate teams, and he's like, he's like, I, I spend no time on my on on my business so that I can have all the other stuff. And then we were hanging out, and he's like, he's like, yeah, but my problem is that I'm always like just taking that time and spending it on building a new business. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I remember one one time my wife was saying like, and it was like in October, you know, one year. And she's like, we we're talking about something, and she's like, and she's like. I need you to make me promise. Like, what? He said, just promise between now and end of the year, you won't start any more businesses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is your superpower? Um, I, it's interesting. I, I've, I've got a big sign in my office that says, are you in your genius zone? And every time I'm doing anything, I try to think to myself, is this my genius zone? And I boiled it down to four, but there's one that I think stands out. So one creative problem solving. I think that that's, it's funny. My brother and my dad loved puzzles, but I always hated puzzles as a kid. Now I realize like all I do all day is solve puzzles, right? Mm-hmm. So creative problem solving, um, strategic relationships. I think that I'm, you know, as a high eye, I love hanging with, with people, high, high level thinkers. And the more high level thinkers you're hanging with, the, the bigger you can build your life. There's a, a, a quote that I really love, sir, Arthur Conan Doyle, um, mediocrity knows nothing greater than itself, but talent instantly recognizes genius. And so when you hang with people that, you know, have that level of genius, like it's just awesome. So strategic yeah. relationships, um, uh, uh, pitching vision to people. Like, I think that's one of the reasons why my, my organizations grow is because I'm, I think I'm really good at helping people see the vision, see that, that they could be so much more than they even think they, they themselves could be. Mm-hmm. And so like pitching biz- vision and helping people understand how to build a legacy. And then, um, the last one, and this one I think is the one that stands out above all else. I've, I just was born with like extra energy, which yeah. I'm sure you probably can't tell. I've noticed. <laughs> I've noticed. I think you, uh, Brent Daniels, uh, Cody Hoffine. Yeah. You guys are just, your energy is just another, another level. You got another gear. Um, Luis Garcia wants to know what other real estate channel do you listen to besides obviously real estate disruptors? Oh yeah, no, this is, a, this is a great one. Um, so I listen to, oh man, I listen to a bunch of different ones. I, um, so actually when I was trying to 
uh, scale back a lot of the stuff that I was doing. Um, I, one of my, you know, some of you, do you know a guy named Gary Boomershine by any chance? Of course. Yeah. Gary, Gary's a good buddy of mine. And I just remember hearing his story about going from working 110 hours a week, 50 pounds overweight to being able to like really learn how to push that off. So I, I even though he's a good buddy of mine and we talked a lot, I, I started listening to a lot of his podcasts, um, just because, for me, learning how to scale, I think uh, learning how to, to leverage at a high level is, is really, really huge. Um, dang, my phone's in my other room. I, I've got, I got so many different ones that I, I listen to. So Craig Groeschel's leadership podcast is probably my favorite leadership podcast. Andy Stanley leadership podcast. Love that. Um, real estate wise. Um, dang, I, I just jump around on, on all the different real estate ones. You gotta plug yourself though. Oh Yeah. I'm sorry. Uncommon real estate. Yes. <laughs> the average, the average podcast listener listens to seven podcasts. I would love to be one. So mine is for the agent investor. Like that's, that's the whole thing. So we talk about retail and we talk investor. So yeah. the agent investor, uncommon real estate. Thanks. I, <laughs> thanks for the plug. Yeah. And then, uh, on Instagram, Pat wants to know, uh, you said you got these handful of books. So what, what are the list of those books? Oh yeah. So, um, the e-myth, which is huge. I love the e-myth. Traction, EOS Traction. Make sure it's EOS Traction. I got, I heard so many people talk about Traction. I got the wrong one on Audible and I'm like, this book isn't great. What, what the heck? And then I got EOS Traction. I was like, ah, now I see it. Yeah. Um, the 12 week year, uh, Clockwork, which was written by the same guy that wrote Pro Profit First. And I'll give one little piece on Clockwork because this was life changing for me. He said, take a, buy a sticky pad, write down everything you do for two weeks and put it on a wall. And then at the end of two weeks, start looking at the things that are not at your pay grade, way below your pay grade, put them somewhere else and then hire somebody to take that over. Mm -hmm. um, so EOS Traction, Who Not How, and um, the book Scrum, How to Do Twice as Much in Half the Time. Yeah, so I just did a video. I don't think it's been uh, published yet. So I wanna have a debate. All right, let's do first it. first one you said was E-Myth. Yes. So I have made the argument, it was uh, Lauren Hardy and I, uh, cause she was just talked about how much she loved that. I was like, ah, I don't feel the same. So. Um, Remember when school, when we were like in first and second grade and we talked about how Christopher Columbus sailed, was it? Sailed the ocean, ocean wide, blue. right? Yeah. Sailed the ocean wide, discovered America and all these great things. And then we had holidays about Christopher Columbus, right? Yeah. And then we go to high school and college, like this guy was a massacrist. Like he was mur <laughs> a murderer and they were raping and pillaging. Not the same color <laughs> that we right. got in first right. and second grade. And so the E-myth we read it initially it's like, oh yeah, so if we could just build a business based off systems and processes, we can just put anybody in there, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's kind of the, the premise of it. And then as you build these small businesses, you realize you can't just hire anybody and everybody to fulfill systems and procedures. We need rock stars. We need guys that are high level that can solve problems, right? We have to pay them more, right? right? right, right. But we're not hiring pimple-faced teenagers. We're hiring superstars that are self-sufficient are resourceful and can solve problems on their own, which is not what he talks about in the E-Myth. E-Myth is like mm. a system process that is uh, independent of the people that you hire. So what are your thoughts on that? So I've got a couple of thoughts. You, you mentioned pimple-faced teenagers because you probably think I'll go right to the McDonald's thing, right? Build a billion-dollar business on, with 16-year-olds uh, with that um, don't have a high school degree, right? And if they were all to each one of them were to figure out how to make the best number one. <laughs> you couldn't go to Japan and get a number one and also one in, in you know, California. So I do think that there is something there um, to the fact that if the system is right, you can plug people in. Um, 
The other piece that comes from who, not how, right, is... Which is where I'm arguing is more relevant right. in our business. Right. Well, I do believe that um, as, you know, and, and again, that another book that's great is, is top, top creating where mm. it's like, you know, if you, if you're in a runner's group, if you get somebody that's 51% better then the group just speeds up and the slower people have to drop off or speed up. Right? right. So I do believe that hiring rock stars is, is the key, but I don't know that it's a both. And, and actually, again, man, I feel like I'm giving like Gary so much love right now, but mm. this is, this is one of the things it talks about in that book in, in the millionaire real estate agent is that there's cul-de-sac talent and there's capacity talent. Right. And I think that there's, there's a need for both. And for most, I think for, for a lot of systems and processes, you can put in cul-de-sac talent, which is they're, they're, they can do their job. Right. And a lot of us will Highly get competent, not superstars. Right. Right. And, and I've got a number of, of VAs in the Philippines that, um, that do that. And then a couple that stand out and then we put them in, we give them much, much better roles. But a lot of times it's, it's harder when English isn't their first language, they're overseas, their internet doesn't work as well. And so we put them in and, you know, some of them will just get their job done, but then some of them will stand out and mm -hmm. we give them much, much bigger roles because they're just, they're just awesome. And then I've, I've also had some folks here that, you know, they, they're in and they don't do their job well. But so anyway, I'm, I'm probably arguing out of both sides of my mouth right now. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I, I just, I just wanted to put that out there. Right. As just, uh, the e-myth is, I, I think is when I first read it, I was like, Oh my God, this thing is amazing. And I need to change my business to build around it. And I just think it's kind of like, it's a, it's a, it's a stepping stone along the way to who, not how. And right. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a good, a good way to phrase it, a good way to put it, because I mean, without the systems and processes, which let's be honest, not many entrepreneurs, you were an engineer, so you probably naturally think a little bit more in those lines than the average, you know, entrepreneur that probably, I mean, you know, their, their underwear drawer is not color coded. Let's just put it that <laughs> way. Um, and so, you know, being able to, to relook at it and say, okay, I don't need to be just, and, and again, like, like when I got into trouble, because I was good at finding deals, good at making it rain. I was not good at making the other stuff happen. And so being able to get those systems and processes are there, but I think a hundred percent, you, you're only going to grow to a certain level if you don't have some rock stars in your team. Yeah. All right. So I want you to think about what you want to leave the listeners with. Uh, while we make a couple of uh, quick announcements. Uh, guys, if you get value today, please like, subscribe, share, comment. It helps us. It helps us reach more people and it helps us achieve our goal of creating 100 millionaires. Uh, we do have our two-day workshop coming up. If you guys are interested, send me a DM on Instagram and we'll uh, point you in the right direction. And next week, we've got Javier Hinojo. So uh, be sure to tune in next week, same time. Uh, what last thoughts would you like to leave the listeners with? Invest in yourself, right? To win, it's activity and skill, right? Do enough. Even if you're really not good at talking to people, even if your skill is so low, if you talk to a thousand people a day, I promise you're going to outperform the people that are really good and only talk to a couple people a day, right? Mm -hmm. Activity and then skill. Um, my, my wife asked me this, and this was one of the biggest leveling ups in my business. She's like, Chris, I've never seen anybody. She's like, yeah, I mean, she was Oxford ed educated, right? Like, she's like, I've never seen anybody spend as much time in personal development as you spend in personal development. She's like, you're always teaching your team, but do they understand what you do to get there? Right. And, and at that point, that's when I started sharing the books I'm reading. That's when I started sharing how much time I spend in personal development on my morning routine, all the other stuff. And I started seeing my team emulating that started, started 
started investing in themselves rather than just taking, you know, at, at meetings or, or on like whatever they were getting on their own on podcasts. They were listening to, you know, YouTube channels, they were doing all this other stuff. And then they started leveling up, uh, not just what I was giving them. And so that was, that was a massive change in my business. So I'll tell you guys, activity and skill is like the two huge things. Talk to enough people and then get good at what you're saying. I love it. Um, if someone wants to get a hold of you, how would they go about doing that? So a couple of things. One, um, uh, my my Instagram at Cradrock, C-R-A-D-D-R-O-C-K. I've been, um, you know, people were so generous with me, like I said before. So if you DM me, I try to respond to every DM. It may not happen like in 24 hours, but I've, I've worked really hard to, to do that because people did that to me. So again, I want to give back. Um, so that's, that's one place. Um, if you are a real estate agent or thought about being an agent and you are interested in the agent investor world, definitely my podcast, uh, the uncommon real estate podcast. And then, um, I'm with wholesaling Inc, the REI revive. If you want to monetize your dead leads, um, it's wholesalinginc.com forward slash revive. Um, and, uh, yeah, either me or somebody on the team will, will chat with you about your business and see if there's a way that you can just monetize and make just crazy amounts of money, um, with the, uh, leads that you're bringing in and are doing nothing with. Awesome. Thank you very much.